Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Welcome to Bug Eyes Rock Pop Rambles. This is episode... Oh my God, Uh, it's episode 30. Is it? 30, Grace. Oh my God. And I was 30 last month. I thought you were going to say 13. It's a weird coincidence, isn't it? Oh, spooky spooky. And spooky Halloween. Yeah. All these these things are connected. What's going on? What's going on? (laughs) (laughs) Um, I'm your host, Angela Martin, from the band Bug Eye. I want to say something a bit more interesting than that, but... Yeah, we're not very interesting people, mm, are we? Yeah, so why not give us some mics and have us do a podcast? <laughs> <laughs> and this week I'm joined by Grace from the band. Hello, everyone. I was saying to Paula the other day that I think I'm just going to pre-record an intro. So That's I could a just good idea. say... Need, we need a jingle. We do. We don't need, we? Yeah, because we've got like the um, intro bit of Don't Stop. No. We'll get it. Um, but yeah, I was thinking of pre-recording like an intro bit. Yeah, that's a good and idea. And we can even get all the housekeeping crap out of the way of going, you can follow us on Twitter. Yeah. At Bug Eye Band and Bug Eye Music on Facebook. That's a really good idea, yeah. actually. We do and email do us at rockpoprambles at gmail. There you go. Just got it all out of the way. Perfect. Yeah. There you go. So is That's any- the best bit of the podcast. I know. So just, yeah. You don't need to listen to anything else now, that's it. Just email us, tweet us. There's actually some really good chat going on on our social channels. So if you are listening, you should hop on and and have a have a little read. We've had some really nice stuff shared on our social channels of things we should cover. Um and just, just some really lovely Yeah, lovely people are comments. lovely, aren't they? So lovely. yeah, yeah, a lot of fun, lot of fun stuff. We did a recent shout out for songs based on our um transport show yeah that was that a good did. one that was and there was loads that's of, one of my yeah, favorites i need to actually collate it all now into an actual playlist because yeah. there were some really nice suggestions on there um and also a suggestion that you know there's a request that they want julia to return oh really more, popular more. with the fans was yeah she? she was really popular they got more shows with julia so oh, i think nice. we were fired and julia <laughs> can just do the podcast on her own <laughs> oh dear so yeah she she was in a panic when i said that she was like but but what do i talk about i have to do research she's like i think julia yeah. out of everyone is probably the most well researched wasn't I know. she she's just actually written a whole article about that podcast oh, show cool. she's uh yeah she's she's it's a good show yeah she is on it she is right so, talking about shows this week, we thought we would do like one of those, you know, those documentaries you sort of I say documentaries, that's kind of a bit. It's like when Channel 4 do yeah. their top 50 comedy moments of all time or something. Yeah, we're not doing that, <laughs> but we are doing a top 10. We're doing a top 10 of songs that were inspired by books. We are indeed. I was about to say books that were inspired. The reason why I had to say that so because I was about to say it the other way around. Books ah. that were inspired by songs. But I wonder if there were. That, I was going to say that'd that, be another good one. Uh, this was hard enough. Yeah, it was really hard, wasn't it? There are lots of I songs was... we looked at and I thought, oh, there's going to be loads about that. And it's like, oh, no, there isn't. Yeah, so, I found this one really difficult. So what I would I would say is that this is our, what we think is an interesting set of songs for our top our top 10 yeah and we have put them in order but 
I wouldn't say it's like, you know, from least favourite to favourite. It's more just, I don't know, perhaps mm. awareness level. Yeah. Sort of ranking it like that. It's whether, yeah, I guess so. And also based on what information we could actually find on the songs because yeah. I'm sure the stories behind them are interesting. I just, you know. <laughs> and also it's ordered just so we can take turns because we yeah, split the list to well. do the research, five songs each. So, uh, yeah, it's does it's it just an order. Like that? Yeah, yeah, it does work out like that. Work out like that. Nice. And believe it or not, it took me three times of writing that to get it right. And I just thought, why is this so hard? I am a bit hungover today, though. Are you? Were you yeah. drunk last night? Well, we had we had beers, didn't we? And then me, me and Paula had wine. Oh, yeah, you did. And stayed up chatting for a bit after you and Kerry left. We we were at band practice last night. When I say band practice, we were at my house um, doing some, some music stuff. Playing Funky Town. Funky Town, oh. Yeah, we were playing Funky Town. <laughs> basically what that, we were doing That famous for about song that we wrote, yeah. <laughs> so let's just play that on me. Don't worry about our own songs, just play Funky Town. Uh, yeah, so I was just feeling a bit delicate this morning. I didn't realise you were drunk. I didn't think I was, but... Um, yeah, I was just about it's... to say you hide it well, but then I remembered Friday. <laughs> when, you, when you couldn't open one of your eyes. <laughs> oh, Grace. Look, I've got, I've got better. Actually, you were really good at avoiding cameras and stuff. Oh, I, was, at the I knew what I was doing. See, I wasn't that drunk. I was pretty hammered, hammered enough to. I think we need to share the video of Paula and Kerry. Yeah, definitely dancing. Yeah, absolutely. It's, yeah. it's a really amazing. They're, they're both really amazing good, moment. Aren't they? I'm going to put that on Patreon. So if you are <laughs> yeah, a member that. of our Patreon, you get. You know, get the privy knowledge of what happens behind the scenes, including videos and photos of things we would not want anyone else to see. So, um, and also we've got some live dates that we'll be announcing soon for next year. So if you're a patron, you get discount and you get early bird tickets for both our kind of podcast live show that we're looking to do. Mm -hmm. And also as a band, our tour of of dates. Um, But I mean, if they don't happen, obviously... Knows we might have to just happen. do more drunk dancing to <laughs> compensate. <laughs> were there any of you? Did we avoid you? You were the one I, filming. I you avoided all pictures as well the weekend. Yeah. I don't think it was I any did a pretty decent Disney. job of that. Yeah, just Paula and Kerry. They just <laughs> had no idea. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> should we get on with this? Oh no! Actually, what? before we get oh. started, we've got new music oh, to play. Yes, we this, have this year, this week, this tonight, tonight, tonight. Okay, so my new music is The Menstrual Cramps, four-piece band from Bristol. And which song are you going to play? No Means No.
Consent to sex is when someone agrees by choice and has the freedom and capacity to make that choice. If a person is unconscious or incapacitated by alcohol or drugs, they are unable to give their consent to sex. Having sex with a person who is incapacitated through alcohol or drugs is rape. No one asks or deserves to be raped or sexually assaulted. 100% of the responsibility lies with the perpetrator. Sexual assault must be stopped. was the menstrual cramps no means no nice bass intro on that one yeah they're a cracking band have you played with them yes okay actually i want to say yes but it's all i don't think it was when i I was in the band because i don't remember did i play with them they're on a lot of the loud women i think maybe we did did a gig i think i think yeah yeah we did yeah i think we did play with them um i know they were also on the same tour as us with she drew the gun um yeah, last they year they were yeah. one of the the support bands as well for that really really great bunch yeah and i just i just love the stuff that they put yeah, out yeah they're great politically really on it and lyrics good are music. great yeah catchy number that one and you don't let's say you don't need to buy me a drink to touch me grace that's not what song <laughs> says at all <laughs> but you don't actually I need don't, to i know i don't i know <laughs> Give me a hug anytime. <laughs> <laughs> oh dear. Right, anyway, shall we get into this top ten? Right, let's crack on. Number ten. Okay, so at number ten, we have Lucy in the Sky with Diamonds. Beatles, obviously. Everyone knows that. Uh do you know? I mean, everyone thinks it's about LSD, right? I thought, well, yeah, that's what Which that's it what probably I is a bit. Yeah. Although there's well, I'll I'll uh, I'll carry on because so basically mm. it's inspired mostly by Alice in Wonderland, but that was inspired by LSD. So in was a way, that? so it's yeah. So there we go. Yeah. So the song title apparently was actually inspired by a picture that Julian Lennon's uh, son painted of one of his classmates, Lucy, um, and he recalls trundling home from school. And walking up to my dad with one of my watercolour paintings, um, it was just a bunch of stars and this blonde girl I knew at school. And dad said, what's this? And I said, it's Lucy in the sky. That's that's really cute. Yeah, isn't it? That's really cute. It's really sweet. Um, so that's how the song, I guess, got its title. Yeah. But then apparently Lennon said in interviews that the, the dreamlike images referenced in the song are actually from Alice in Wonderland. Oh. So 
it, he says in an interview in 1980, I can't remember who it was with, but so it says, it was Alice in the boat. She's buying an egg and it turns into Humpty Dumpty. The woman serving in the shop turns into a sheep and the next minute they are rowing in a rowing boat somewhere and I was visualising that. There was also the image of the female who would someday come save me, a girl with the with kaleidoscope eyes who would come out of the sky. It turned out to be Yoko. Then he gets all soppy about Yoko. I'm not going to read that bit. <laughs> yeah, we, don't, we don't get like we don't that. We don't need that bit, podcast, do we? No. Oh, that's really cute. Yeah, that so, is really cute. I didn't know that about the song. Or may, maybe I did from ages ago, but I haven't even listened to that in in such a long time. Yeah, but. I knew the bit about. I think I knew the bit about his son's painting, but I didn't know the Alice in Wonderland stuff. But I it makes I sense, remember really, doesn't it? Alice in Wonderland, LSD. Yeah, that's about it. But. Just even like reading about, you know, telling us about the picture and just some of the sort of visual stuff. And it makes sense, doesn't it's, it? Yeah, it's just really sweet. I want to listen to it. Well, I so I was when I was researching this, it turns out there's loads of songs that are inspired by Alice in Wonderland. Really? Yeah. What? So what? Alice, Stevie Nicks. Oh, okay. Sunshine, Aerosmith. There's a Radiohead song. Is it Paul, Paul Revolving Doors? You know what? From doing this research, it looks like Radiohead... You know, yeah. Tom York just reads books and yeah. writes songs about them. Yeah. They're, he's re- Yeah, a lot of his songs are inspired by books. Um, but I didn't know the Alice in Wonderland. One. Yeah, well, neither did I. There's loads. Wonderland, Taylor Swift, Through the Looking Glass, Pete Doherty, I'm the Walrus again, apparently. Uh, oh, okay. Another Beatles one. Um, Malice, Through the Looking Glass, Cradle of Filth. Don't know. Uh, Eat, band, but not song. Eat Me, Drink Me, Marilyn Manson. That's inspired by the Red Queen. And then Queen of Hearts by Saxon. So, yeah, there's loads. It's quite a, yeah. Yeah. You slipped loads. Grace has just done the whole top ten. <laughs> them all in. <laughs> That's what we should have done is just pick one book. I did think of that. I tried to, I was going to do all of mine on one book. Yeah. And I got to four and I couldn't find a fifth one that was interested in it. <laughs> that would have been rubbish. Yeah. Right, should we crack on then? Yeah, that's my number ten done. Hello, number nine. All right, so this one, let me get my notes out. This is Atticus by Noisettes. Do you know that song? I, I do now. You played it to me 10 minutes ago. <laughs> <laughs> this way you're supposed to go, no, oh, yes. <laughs> we went through the list of which ones do you actually know and which ones don't you know. <laughs> but, um, yeah, so I suppose the first line of the song yeah is is the clue as yes. to which book this is based on grace shall i read you the line go on read it to me again yeah. to kill a mockingbird <laughs> is to silence the song that seduces oh, you oh is it to kill a mockingbird for harper no. lee no no it's a, it's a book called seduce it no it's yep it's the song is is inspired by to kill a mockingbird but not just the book as a whole it's it's about the not about, but it's inspired by the protagonist Atticus from the Harper Lee classic novel, basically. Mm-hmm. And Atticus is seen as a sort of metaphor in this song for fear, fearlessness and integrity. Uh, it's a very beautiful song if you don't if you don't know it, and it's on um, the Noisette's second album. And just a little bit about the band, actually, the band formed in in two thousand and three when guitarist Smith and singer Shanua were attending the Brit School. Performing Arts and Technology. And where is that, Grace? The Brit School? Yeah, where is it? I can't remember. It's in Croydon. Oh, it's in Croydon. It's in Croydon. So all the best, all the best people have some sort of Croydon <laughs> connection. People. Yeah, all the best people. <laughs> <laughs> 
It's where I live, isn't it? <laughs> nah, fair enough. Yeah, and there's a few people on this list, actually, in this top ten, that all have Croydon connections. Oh, really? So, yes, I oh, shall remember cool. to, just looking at the list now, I just remembered, so I shall, actually not many of them, maybe two. Two. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but that's, that's a lot out of ten, out of all yeah. the places yeah. in the UK. It's 20%. Yeah, 20% of the list. Pretty good, yeah. Um, so, anyway, now I've got my, my little Croydon link in <laughs> The Noisettes gradually formed a reputation for being one of the rowdiest live acts in London. And I don't know if you know much about the Noisettes. Like their first album was pretty rocky. It was yeah, pretty yeah. pretty heavy. And I think the second album was just like a massive, massive shift for them yeah. musically. Um, but also shows um, just how incredibly talented they are to be able to write such diverse yeah. things. So, I mean, that was when the the band first sort of achieved commercial success nationwide and, you know, recognition for their second single from from that second album, basically. It was um, Don't Upset the Rhythm, Go Baby Go, which reached number two in the UK single charts in spring of 2009. I remember that one. Yeah, really, really great song. And Atticus is from that that album. And there were, there were great singles from, from there. Actually, I just thought every song from that album was a single I was a really big fan and have you ever seen them play live? I've not seen them live now. Really really good I saw them in I can't remember what year it was but I think it was sort of around this this time it was they headlined at Brixton Academy mm-hmm. and she could she just commanded the yeah. audience in such a fantastic way and just the sheer joy on her face performing yeah. at Brixton. And she brought one of her best mates from college out on stage. who was, oh, you nice. know, inspiration to her. Yeah. And then she was down, she got everyone to just sit on the floor. Yeah. And she was just walking through the crowd singing. And then she went up to the balcony and was singing up there. And No, they just, are a great band. They I put would. on such an amazing show. <clears throat> um, yeah. So the book, To Kill a Mockingbird... We did that at school. Did you do it at school? I did do it at school, yeah. did do it at school. Fantastic book. One of the only books that we did do at school that I actually really liked. You know <laughs> I don't how... remember a lot of the books. Well, oh, we did know. Holes. Did you? I remember and... having to do Jane Eyre and I just, I wanted to Some just, of... just decide, it's just, you know, it's such a punishment book, that test book. It's um, no, I've not so read thick it. and just boring <laughs> and, sorry. Um, you know, obviously, you know, a lot of people shaking their heads at me right now. <laughs> Don't know anything about literature. Um, anyway, so To Kill a Mockingbird was published in 1960. And to the surprise of Harper Lee, it was actually an instant success and became a classic of modern American literature and won the um, Pulitzer Prize. Yeah. Um, you know, and if you think about in the 60s, for a book of that nature, of what it was actually talking about, the sort of serious issues mm-hmm. that it, it addresses, things like rape and racial inequality. Mm-hmm. Um, I, you know, it's incre- incredible that yeah. it was this just powerful yeah, piece yeah. of work. And the plot and the characters are loosely based on Lee's observations of her family, her neighbours, and an event that occurred near her hometown in Alabama in 1936 when she was 10. And you're going to ask me, what was that, were you? I was going to and until I saw the look on your face. Yeah, I thought, I just re- as soon as I said it, I just thought, gave me this oh, look. that's, that's <laughs> the interesting bit, isn't it? That's the interesting oh, bit. And people can go and find that out for that, themselves. Exactly, it's they? the mystery. This, 
This this isn't this isn't just about this one song. This podcast. This is just to give you some. You can't some, say we haven't got a mystery. This is to tease you into wanting to find more. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that look! It's <laughs> like holy shit. That was the interesting bit, and I've not fucking done it, have I? Oh, no, it's all right. Right. This is where we go swiftly on oh. to number eight. Seamlessly into number eight. Okay, yeah. so. This one is a Pink Floyd track called Pigs, which, had you heard it? I thought you were going to play it then. This next track is Pigs. I I have. Because of earlier. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because I'm going to confess, I am not a Pink Floyd fan. Yeah, that's fine. I'm not. I've tried. I, 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 I've tried. I liked God them. Help me, I've tried. I liked them when I was younger because my dad was a big fan, still is. Um, but yeah, I, yeah, the, the, you know, they wouldn't, they wouldn't make it onto my desert island disc or anything like that. No. So what I got from that song was creepy keyboards. Yeah. And pig noises. That's basically it in a nutshell. Um, and it's off that power station cover Battersea. album Battersea Power Station yeah. with the pig Which, did you notice the pig yeah the little pig because yeah, Julia talked a little bit I've got a cramp in my foot right. she talks about it on our episode uh, where we cover Storm Ferguson mm-hmm. who was the, the guy who who did a lot of the sort of did Dark covers of for yeah. yeah covers for Pink Floyd the Cranberries <laughs> a whole host of of other um, other fantastic albums it's a bit of a creative genius, actually. Yeah. Even the Muse covers are incredible. But yeah, she talks. She talks a lot about his work. So if you're interested in in hearing a bit more about that, do do listen to that show. There's a few nods to other episodes in this this episode. That's what I like about this top ten list. Yeah, I noticed there's two songs that we've actually already talked about quite a bit on yeah. other shows. <laughs> <laughs> That's where we've got to. This. There's nothing else to say about music. Yeah. We're just going to keep recycling <laughs> our badly researched yeah. notes and make them even worse the second time around. <laughs> Yeah, as far as unprepared notes goes, I think this one is my uh, <laughs> my worst one. Go for it then. Well, I'm going to go it. for it. You ready? Go for it, go. So, Pigs, Pink Floyd, is based on George Orwell's Animal Farm. Okay. Um, it's a song from their album Animals. It's a really long song. It's like 11 minutes long or something like that. Classic Pink Floyd. Um, so... I reckon most people who are into literature would have probably read Animal Farm. Yep. But I'm going to just summarise the plot anyway for those who haven't. So, essentially, farm animals rebel against a farmer in the hope that they can create a society, a society where they're free and equal. Old Major, that's the... Yeah. Yeah. Old Major introduces ideas about animal rebellion. Napoleon and Snowball take his ideas and turn them into animalism. And then there's this hierarchy of animals starts to take shape. Um, then there's the Battle of Cowshed. Remember that bit? Yes. That's a big bit, isn't it? Uh, the, the farmer tries to retake the farm. And then Napoleon and Snowball compete for leadership. Snowball's expelled. Napoleon takes control and starts to scapegoat Snowball. The animals protest and the hardest workers are sacrificed because they don't follow what Napoleon wants. And then eventually the pigs start walking on two legs, denying that the rebellion ever happened, etc. And then in the end, the animals gather and watch a party between the pigs and the humans and then they can't tell them apart. Mm. That's uh, so they become mm-hmm. what's yeah they become what they are uh, trying to overthrow exactly. There's there's a there's a lesson for you there there is a somewhere. Lesson. Isn't there? <laughs> now I remember seeing um, that cartoon 
Yeah. I know it was a book as well, obviously. Yeah. I've read it. <laughs> yeah. But as a child, um, my parents didn't always really look at, I mean, we got to watch stuff that we probably <clears throat> should never have watched um, when I was little. But the two cartoons that they, they made such bad judgment on was Animal Farm <laughs> and When the Wind Blows. Did um, they think that Animal Farm was like a kid's I think cartoon? they just, they, it sounds I think like they a kid's book. literally just grabbed, a, like from the video shop, a yeah. couple of cartoons. And I was so distraught. Oh, really? Um, I was really little. I've so not seen the cartoon. Farm, it's really, it's really sad, especially when, you know, that, you know, the, the pig gets killed in the snow. Like, yeah. Oh, but that then is also, quite traumatic do you, for a kid. Have you, do you seen the cartoon When the Wind Blows? When the wind blows, no, I don't. It's, think I have. it's the one about is like it? there's a nuclear fallout, and it's this old couple no, in this house, and it's all about them following um, the, what the government is suggesting they need to do to stay safe. Sorry, this sounds awful, doesn't it? Given the fact there's a fucking pandemic going on, <laughs> but like they tell them as in if you if you kind of put some doors against a wall and and sleep in potato sacks, that it kind of protects your skin and stuff like that. How and old were you? I was, I think, I was about. Six or yeah, seven. That's, that's so and basically, they slowly they their their house starts falling apart, and so does their bodies. Basically, Ugh. and and they die. That's it's, awful. I, that has stuck with me. It was fucking. <laughs> this is horrific. turning into a therapy session. <laughs> <laughs> thanks. And how did that make you feel, Angela? <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm rocking right now. I'm still disturbed by it. <laughs> Oh, I'm sorry that happened to you, Angela. That's oh. horrible. But it was all, it was like always like with kids as well. It was like we saw we even saw horror films when we were little kids, and it's like it was all right to see that. But as soon as there was something nude on the TV, yeah, something a bit sexy. Yeah, my like, mum and dad were a bit cover like your that. eyes. Yeah, turn, put your fingers in your ears. Yeah, <laughs> turn your back. Don't look. Yeah, <laughs> but like something like some people dying from a nuclear fallout is fine. Yeah, that's that's horrible. <laughs> I can't believe that. Oh, God, child of the uh, 80s. There you go. Um, Right, so we've summarised the plot. So the album's in three parts, dogs, pigs and sheep. So the pigs bit is the bit that I'm going to quickly talk about. So basically, pigs represent the people who Roger Waters considers to be at the top of the social ladder. So the ones with the wealth and power who manipulate society and encourage them to be competitive. So the pigs can remain powerful. So apparently each verse of the song mm. is based on a different pig. So he's got... Now I actually want to listen to it. Now it sounds... Yeah. No, it is quite an interesting song. I mean, from this perspective, even if you're yeah. not a fan of Pink Floyd. I bet there's a lot of songs um, inspired by Animal Farm as well, to be fair. We could have done one on George Orwell, couldn't we, really? Yeah. George Orwell features in this list again later, later. Anyway, so in a Rolling Stone interview, he was asked who the, the three pigs are. So the first one is just basically any businessman who's more interested in making money than having relationships with other human beings. The last verse is about someone who tried to censor English TV to keep sex off it. She was called Mary Whitehouse. Yes. Yeah. Yes, so one we, of the we, verses I, is about her. We totally have to do a show on Mary Whitehouse because I think it would be really interesting. Yeah? Just, yeah. Okay, let's yeah, do that. Definitely have to do it. So, yeah, one of the verses is about her because um, she sort of tried to clean up British TV mm-hmm. um, in ways that he considered to be unhealthy. And then the second verse was apparently about Margaret Thatcher. <laughs> <laughs> oh, brilliant. So, yeah, three pigs. 
Yeah, that's cool. Yeah, it's, it's, I quite like that one. No, I really like that. And that, that's the thing that actually does make me want to <clears throat> listen to the song. Well, I, this I, is why yeah. these this is good because it yeah. it shows like a whole new side to the song that you didn't maybe i have a whole new appreciation whole new i'll get an appreciation of of pink floyd oh my god we're at number seven number seven number seven on the list and this this was a surprise one for me that that popped up um because i really didn't know this at all and I thought I was a bit of a Nirvana fan. Mm-hmm. Um, not hardcore. No, not hardcore. Not no, hardcore, no, 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 no. but would consider myself as in, oh, well, thought I knew sort of backstories about things, but um, not not so, not so. So this song I'm going to talk about is Scentless Apprentice by Nirvana. Do you know much about that song? Uh, no, I know it now because you played it to me about 20 minutes ago. <laughs> disgraceful no I, I yeah Nirvana's one of those bands that I used to like about 10 years ago yeah listen to loads but yeah um so the song is about a book that Kirk Cobain read called Perfume the book and the song are about a boy who's born without body odor but has a strong sense of smell there's more to it than that okay <laughs> <laughs> it's like oh really that's really boring um so what do you think the boy in the book goes on to do? So he's... So, so he's we know got, that he's, he's a boy. He's a boy, born. yeah. He's a boy. He was born. He was born, yeah. <laughs> he didn't have any body odour. Yeah. But he had a very strong sense of smell. God. And the book is called Perfume. Oh, he went down to uh, make perfume. In, that's not incorrect. <laughs> that is correct. Yeah. <laughs> but what else does he do? What else does he do on mm. the side? Yeah. Uh-huh. I don't know. It's a shocker. Go it's on. a shocker. The story follows an unloved orphan. This is the book, not the, the, the Nirvana song, although it is about that, right? So right, we're still on the book. We're still on the book. Right, still okay. on the book, right? The story follows an unloved orphan in, the 18, in 18th century France who is born with an exceptional sense of smell capable of distinguishing vast ranges of scents. Um, so things like, you know, so he could have his eyes closed and someone could be holding a carrot and he'd be able to go, ooh, you're holding a carrot. Yeah. He could just, yeah, <laughs> smell things that others just could yeah. not. Right? Little party trick. <laughs> Little party <laughs> trick. He toured the country <laughs> doing that one. Penny in the hat for that. Or, well, not a penny, it's France. Anyway, so stuff like that. Anyway, he becomes... Um, is it if you're if you make perfume a perfumer yeah is it perfumer no there is a perfumist there's a proper there's a proper word isn't that well he he, he becomes that anyway but an apprentice um and later also decides to become a serial killer wow you know i think the two you know go together really well yeah um well he becomes a serial killer after he encounters a young girl and he's kind of just becomes obsessed with her scent. She she walks past and she is the most beautiful, wondrous smelling human <laughs> that his nostrils so have ever her. encountered. So he strangles her so he can sit with her and stays with her until her scent is gone. That nice. sounds right up your street, that novel. I mean, this is like, that's something I would do. Like, yeah, my pastime, that's what I do. <laughs> 
yeah, a bit of true crime. Yeah, I've always got to try and put a bit of true yeah, crime exactly. in the show. But, um, but yeah, so the book was translated into 49 languages and sold over 20 million copies worldwide. Um, it's a best-selling novel. Um, it's, it's basically Germany's best-selling one of Ge- my God. One of Germany's it? best-selling there's novels. That's <laughs> there's a sentence I was trying to say there. That's it. Yeah, that one. And um, so, yeah, so Kirk Bain was very inspired by this book and wrote the song. And some of the lyrics go like this without me. Actually, there's not many. I'm going to read some of them out because I've really shortened facts. Go on, on just read the lyrics um, out. Like most babies smell like butter, his smell smelled like no other. He was born scentless and senseless. He was born a scentless apprentice. Hey, go away, go away. Every wet nurse refused to feed him. And yeah, anyway, yeah, it goes on, it goes on. I could keep reading it. Electrolytes <laughs> smell like semen. I promise not to sell your perfumed secrets. There are countless formulas for pressing flowers. Hey, go away, go away. Anyway, yeah, it's um, it's a good, it's a good song. Yeah, it's dark, it's yeah. dark. And actually, um, there's a nine minute version talking about. I don't have some facts. I do have some facts about this. Go on. Um, there's a nine minute version of this song that appears on Nirvana's "With the Lights Out" compilation. Okay. Um, it's nine minutes. That's a fact. It's long. <laughs> um. <laughs> Tom Mix is number six. Number six. Okay, so this is a Devo track because of the uh, the episode we did. I, don't, I can't even remember how long ago that I don't was. Know. So I thought I'd throw this one in. Little nod to that. So Whip It by Devo. Mm-hmm. Did you know that that was based on a novel? I didn't. No. Called Gravity's Rainbow. What did I know that? Did we talk I, about that in the pot? I, I didn't mention. I didn't know. Till no, I don't think I didn't know that. So, so he, uh, Thomas Pynchon, I think his name. Yeah, is. yeah, yeah. I've read the book; it's good. Um, yeah. So American postmodern novel, pretty long, over seven hundred pages. But I've never yeah. tried to tackle that one. Um, yeah, apparently very difficult and disturbing. I feel like I was when I was reading summaries, it sounded a bit like Naked Lunch. Have you ever read that? No, it's that sort of vibe. Anyway, so it dissolves all the traditional boundaries, so realism into fantasy, into Hollywood musical, into pornography, slapstick comedy, lots of foreign words, scientific theories, impossibly named characters, trivia. Does this sound about right? Yes. yes, yes. Uh, Complex narrative. And it's basically, well, because I've not read this one. It's hard going. It's not, it's not like a, well, it's not a postmodern novel. (laughs) Well, yeah, exactly. So like this, this, um, I've not read this one. So I was trying to find some uh, summaries of the plot and you can't find any. No. Um, But basically the core of it apparently is an American soldier who's apparently attracting missiles with his erections. Which, when you... <laughs> That's probably quite good. Yeah. And it's centred around the paranoia of World War Two, Yeah. Essentially. And I feel like when you hear that, Devo make a lot of sense. <laughs> don't they? <laughs> they do. <laughs> <laughs> if this, that's where it all came from. So, yeah. So, a lot of people think Whippet is about S&M, which mm. I bet... So I bet the, knowing Devo, it's a bit good. about that. Yeah. But apparently, in interviews, they, yeah, they say not. So, because I think the video is just a wind-up, isn't it, really? Mm. Um, 
but Jerry Casale, is that how you pronounce his surname? Yeah, I think so. So he he wrote the lyrics and he said, it's a tongue-in-cheek pep talk, um, satirising hollow American optimism. I'd been reading Thomas Pynchon's Gravity's Rainbow and he had these limericks and poems in there that really made me laugh. Um, and he was making fun of all the American capitalist can-do cliches. Like, there's nobody else like you, you're number one, you can do it. And I was just trying my hand at it. I wrote the lyrics one night because I was so turned on by Pynchon's parodies of limericks. So, yeah, the whole the whole song basically came from that um from that novel. Um so also, I was looking into the song Whip It as well, just generally find some facts. Did you know that the so the riff for Whip It is basically a tweaked version. Yeah, it's it's a tweaked version of Roy Orbison's Pretty Woman. Really? Yeah. So it's it's basically Pretty Woman and it's yeah. cut in half with two extra beats in between. Oh. No, I didn't know that. No, I didn't know that either. I thought that was really that's, cool. That's, you, you win so far on, on cool facts. That's yeah, pretty I good. I thought that was a good one. That is pretty good. it's like them sort of deconstructing... Rock and R and B. It makes sense. Devo makes sense in the context of that novel because it's like I guess with like postmodern literature, the way they sort of dissolve the boundaries of genre. That's yeah. kind of what Devo were doing in yeah. their music, wasn't it? Like deconstructing all the the lexicon of rock, basically. Yeah. Um, yeah. There you go. Devo. I like that one. <laughs> Short and sweet. Right. I've got. I've got to wrap my game. And, and the <laughs> next one. Right. Okay, should we have some more new music? Yeah, that's a good yeah, idea. I think let's let's break here. So, um, song I'm going to play is by a band called Weekend Recovery. We've played them on the show previously, uh, but this is their new single, which is out on the 9th of October. So please do stream it, buy it, share it with your friends, follow all of their socials. This is called You Know Why.
So that was Weekend Recovery with their next single, You Know Why. Which, uh, yeah. Cracking band. Yeah, really, really good. It's uh, Just with them, I think they've got this real kind of garage rock, but mixed in with some sort of Japanese punk pop. Yeah. With like a sprinkling of something 80s. Yeah. There. You always you know need I mean? that, don't you? You always yeah. need the 80s sprinkle. Yeah. For me to like it. I think. Yeah. Me too. Uh, yeah. <laughs> number five. Yeah. So, dun number five. I I really really like this song. As I say, it's one of my. It's it's not my favourite song of all time, but it's it's pretty up there. Although one of the facts that I found out today may change oh, my, my feelings about this song. Um, but I'll get onto that in a moment. But what I would like to say is you you ever want to annoy Paula yeah please play this song yeah um she really just cannot stand it I've seen I've um, seen it I I've seen the reaction yeah when she's nowhere near the, she's sat in the back this song goes on she really does and hate sometimes it sometimes I'll put it on repeat why does she hate it she just she's just like oh for god because like, she doesn't like the whole kind of she doesn't like talking in songs and this song is very much it goes from like dialogue into a more sung chorus. Yeah. Um, so it's just the, it's just the beginning that she Yeah, hates. she's just like, oh, for God's sake. <laughs> um, yeah, so it just it just really winds her up. So um, I also would like for us as a band to annoy her with the fact that we've decided that we need to do a cover of it. Yeah, that we're gonna let's do it. The song, um, yeah, and try and keep that straight face <laughs> and make her learn it. <laughs> <laughs> but um, no, I'm not that mean. I won't do it. But yeah, the song the song is is that is that all there is, and it's the the Peggy Lee yeah, song. I know this one. Yep, the song is based on Thomas Mann's short fiction story Disillusionment. Thomas Mann was born in 1875. He was a German novelist, short story writer, social critic, philanthropist. Philanthropist. Never bloody say that. Philanthropist. Therapist. You could so you're not only gonna be my um you're gonna be my many, many therapists, Grace, <laughs> right? For my emotions, for my speech. <laughs> it's everything. Right? Um when Adolf Hitler came to power in nineteen thirty-three, um Thomas Mann fled to Switzerland and then later relocated to States where I think he remained until his death in nineteen fifty-five. He um, had these diaries and his diaries revealed that he struggled with his homosexuality, which found um, sort of reflection in his works, I suppose you could say. So disillusionment is a story about having the wrong mindset. According to Goodreads, um, because I was kind of trying to find more details about this, and I think it's it's a short story that's in a book of short stories, so it's hard to kind of get... Oh, yeah. Like a lot of information just about that single story. Yeah. Anyway, I started going through um, good reads, sort of what people were saying about it, basically. But yeah, the, the, the way to sum up is that it's a short story about having the wrong mindset. Um, and I haven't read the story, but the main character reveals that he was born in a small town um, in a home of a reverend where all rooms were clean and pathetic and old fashioned optimism was the rule. The rhetoric was one specific to the pulpit, I suppose you could say, with words like good, 
and evil, beautiful and ugly. The man hated those words because he felt they were responsible for his sufferings. Ah, okay. So, yeah, that's that's what the book is about. And the song, Is That All There Is, is about a woman who is and probably always been disillusioned in life, um, so not just in adulthood, it's, you know, through, through her whole life. She's bored, she's depressed, she feels numb, um, and she sort of masks everything with booze. She um, just doesn't seem to be wowed by anything that life has to, to offer. It's quite a dark song. Yeah. Um, so there's lyrics like, you know, she goes, it goes through, I love the lyrics. I that song, that's really always powerful. just, it's, yeah, it's like, I feel really know, sad. Yeah, when I was a little girl, um, our house caught on fire. I'll never forget the look on my father's face as he gathered me up in his arms, raced through the burning building out to the pavement. I stood there shivering in my pyjamas and watched the whole world go up in flames. And when it was all over, I said to myself, is that all there is to a fire? When I was 12, year old, sorry, when I was 12 years old, my father took me to the circus, the greatest show on earth. There were clowns and elephants and dancing bears and a beautiful lady in pink tights flew high above our heads. And so I sat there watching the marvellous spectacle. I had the feeling that something was wrong. I don't know what, but when it was over, I said to myself, is that all there is to the circus? And it kind of goes on, you know, when she's older, you know, she meets someone, falls in love, and when that's over, she's a bit non-fussed, even though she thought she would be. um, It makes me think of, for some reason, when you were reading that like that, it made me think of Joni Mitchell's Both Sides Now. That's, oh, the clouds and, you know. Yeah, it made me think of that. Now that, when I was little, it was all like beautiful, magical yeah. things, and now they just get in the way. It's yeah. oh, that song makes me cry. Yeah, me too. It's brilliant. Quiet, so so sad. Um, but yeah, so the choruses are the sung bits, and it's like, is is you know, is that all there is? If that's all there is, my friends, then let's keep dancing. Let's break out the booze and have a ball. So it is just that, like you know, nothing matters. Mm-hmm. She doesn't really feel anything. Apathy. Yeah, yeah, mm. and I just, I just think it's um, fantastic. And the final, the final verse is actually supposed to be like a suicide note. Oh God! Um, but there's like injected with humour with the way that um, Peggy Lee says it. Yeah. But the writers didn't quite mean it like that. She misunderstood. She thought that it was supposed to be a bit funny. Yeah. Because you're hearing <laughs> this woman moan about stuff, and you think, oh, for fuck's sake. <laughs> Right, and so, and the final chorus sums up what everyone is probably thinking. Which she says, "I know what you must all be saying to yourselves. If that's the way she feels about it, why doesn't she just end it all?" <laughs> and she goes, "Oh no, not me. I'm in no hurry for that final disappointment. <laughs> for I know just as well as I'm standing here talking to you that when that final moment comes and I'm breathing my." Th- my last breath I'll be saying to myself is that all there is <laughs> this is I just think it's bloody marvellous yeah, I is, love that song it is a brilliant song but so I suppose um I've, I've not got a huge amount to to say about it other than you know it was written by um the writing team Jerry Lieber and Mike Stoller um in the 60s and it became a hit for, for Peggy Lee, but it wasn't actually intended for her originally. They offered the song to actress Georgia Brown, who turned it down. Then um, they considered it for Barbara Streisand. They actually sent it, or she sent it to her manager, and then her manager didn't do anything with it. Mm. And she actually says later down the line that, you know, 
she felt passed over by that song. So I think, you know, she obviously wanted to to have that um, in her repertoire, but it was not given to her. Um, When they heard nothing from the Streisand management team, uh, they then thought of Peggy Lee. And I think she was absolutely the perfect person to deliver that song because it's almost got this kind of feels sort of true to her own sort of sad and complex story, which we'll also have to do a show show on because uh, she was she was pretty incredible but but as i say yeah she had quite a sad story like yeah. she's she she's a good seen, one to do a show she's on, seen actually. quite she's quite like the the character in in the song actually in a, a few a few facts so did you know, know that um peggy lee voiced four different characters in disney's 1955 movie Lady and the Tramp. I didn't know that. No. Yeah, she did the she did Darling, Darling, mm-hmm. Peg. Yeah. Um, and both the Siamese cats. Ah. And she actually wrote all the songs. Ah, oh, I did know that. I didn't know any of I that. I did know that. And did you know that she, in total, in her career, um, recorded over 650 songs. 650 on, songs. 650 Jesus. songs on 60 albums. God. That's that's impressive. That that's is like you're a, never out of the studio. Yeah, that's mad. You see, talking about the song, I was like, no, I do love it. But then this next fact oh, and final fact about makes this. me go, I don't want to like this song anymore. This is Donald Trump's favourite oh, song. Oh, for God's sake. Mm, I know, he's fucking pissed oh. on that one, isn't he, now, for me? Bitch. But anyway, on tapes released by the New York Times, which contain interviews by journalist Michael O'Diaz, D'Antonio, for his 2014 biography, The Truth About Trump, the billionaire explained, it's a great song because I've had all these tremendous successes and then I'm off to the next one because it's like, oh, is that all there is? That's a great song, actually. That's a very interesting song, especially sung by her because she had such a troubled life. Completely missed the point of the song, but all Fucking right, Donald. Je- exactly. Yeah. Oh Wacky, God, Wacky. what a wanker! Yeah, yeah so... I didn't think that I could dislike him even more. But I there know. you go. It's not allowed you to shat like, all over that as well now. Me, it just ruins it. Ruins it. Um, but yeah, so that, that, was, that was that was an excellent one. Well done, Angela. Thank you, thank you. That's... That sounded patronising, but I, I really did mean it. My other ones are not so great. So um, yeah, yeah. So that... I pulled it out for the bag for that one. So you, you did. You, you peaked. You're going to have to come up with something. Well, I'm not going to be able to follow it. (laughs) (laughs) I'll try my best. Knock on the door, number four. One of my favourite bands of all time, The Cure, with their single, Killing an Arab. Ah. Yeah? Know that one? I do know that. And I've got all of the, if you look up there, I've got every single Cure album. Yeah, I noticed that. So I think, never listen to them. No, I'm joking. (laughs) Do you know anything about the... uh, the novel that this song is based on. It also happens to be one of my favourite novels. No, I'm going to let you... All right, excellent. Well, it's a book called L'Etranger. I think that's how you say it. Or well in English, The Outsider or The Stranger. I actually don't know about this. Okay, so, so by Albert Camus. Oh, him. Oh, yeah. No, don't know. Oh, I thought <laughs> oh, I believed it then. I was like, oh. Okay, so... Camus was a um, a philosopher, French philosopher, in the and a gentleman, sorry, in the forties, I think, associated with the existentialists. Although he rejected that term, he was more of an absurdist. 
So that's uh, one for the philosophy fans out there. So, yeah, so the single uh, was released in 1978 from the album um, Boys Don't Cry. Mm -hmm. So Robert Smith has explicitly said that the song was a short poetic attempt at condensing my impression of the key moments in the 1942 novel Le by Albert Camus. So the reason I've said that is basically because there's a lot of controversy surrounding the title for obvious reasons. Because yeah. uh, you can't go around even, saying things like that. Can even you? said it even featured this song featured in our um, band songs. This this is a song that is not allowed to be played on the radio at times of war. Yeah, well, I'm going to talk about that so, in a minute, actually. No, I've been pissed on your story. Oh, for Sorry. God's sake! No. <laughs> so, have you read? You haven't read it. No. no. So it's um, an absurdist novel about. Um, a man called Masso who lives in Algiers. Um, Plot-wise, there isn't much going on, but basically, in a nutshell, he attends his mother's funeral and then a few days later kills an Arab man and is tried and sentenced to death. Um, obviously, there's a lot more layers than I'm giving it credit for, but I don't want to spend too much time on it. Um, so the most interesting thing about the book is it's like philosophical underpinnings. Mm. Um, the plot-wise, it's not particularly very interesting yeah you lost me when you said um there isn't really a plot it's like yeah oh, well, <laughs> well there is it's not on there's the something clearly list. happens not on know. my reading list but um <laughs> also a little, little fun fact for everyone Camus wrote a book called the plague which during covid mm. like lockdown yeah it sold a shitload of copies basically it was like one of, oh, i don't know if it was like a bestseller but it yeah so that's one to check out at the moment topical mm. Um, so Masseau is like a, a detached and indifferent character. He doesn't really care that his mom died, doesn't have a sense of morality, really. He doesn't view things as right or wrong. He's quite unrepentant about the crime he commits. So the novel's about the fact that life has no rational meaning. And although he kills the Arab for no reason, society tries to impose reasons because we can't cope with the idea yeah. that things can just happen. Mm-hmm. Basically, life's absurd and things happen yeah. and we don't know why. Um so the song lyrics are basically from his perspective and for obvious reasons it at- attracted some controversy and it was seen by some as promoting violence against Arabs, which, to be fair, I mean, well, it's called it, killing an Arab. Well, exactly. <laughs> so what so, so Bryce Spark decided, oh, I think I this song is... <laughs> yeah, so Robert Smith was very adamant that it isn't about that. Yeah. Um, so when The Cure played at Kingston Polytechnic in 1979, they were asked to not include it in their set, and then it was widely dropped from radio playlists. And the American Arab Anti-Discrimination Committee mm-hmm. asked for the song to be withdrawn from sale, but they made an agreement with the band that they'd package The Cure's first compilation of singles, Standing on a Beach, which is where he kills the man in the novel. Yeah. Um, with a sticker advising advising against racist usage of the song. So that was a compromise they reached instead of pulling it. Um, then it saw controversy again during the Persian Gulf War. And then following the 9-11 attacks, they changed the lyrics to Kissing an Arab. Did they? Yeah, they changed it. So when they performed it, oh. they sang that instead. Um, and they also changed it to, I think, oh, Killing Another think it was for a, a gig they did at the royal albert hall yeah in 2006 but apparently during the 40th anniversary tour they changed it back again to the original seems yeah. like a weird time to change it back yeah. i don't know why it's, it's any time. less racist now it's than it time. was time <laughs> but yeah 
So, a lot of controversy surrounding the title. Um, Simon Gallup, the bassist of mm-hmm. The Cure, there was an interview with him on YouTube and when he's asked about the title of the song, he seems really angry that people were ever offended by it. So he's like, he says it's ridiculous that people got up in arms about it. The book itself didn't cause that much of a reaction, so, you know, why should the song? He thought people were too uptight about it and actually it was ignorance on their part because they didn't understand where the title came from and they weren't familiar with Albert Camus and his philosophy. And it's like, well, now you're calling them ignorant as well. <laughs> it's not really doing much for your case, yeah, is it? Yeah, no, it's not. <laughs> and that, that's the thing. I think I think as musicians, like writers, you've got you you do have to think about about these things. Yeah, of course you, you do. might be coming from a place where you've read a book and and it doesn't mean what people would take like it's the surface idea yeah. that people are looking at. They they don't know the the backstory. I mean, I didn't know the backstory, and I call myself a Cure fan. You know? Well, exactly. Um, Most so, people wouldn't. Yeah. Um, so, but the title "Killing a, Killing an Arab." I mean, mm. it's obvious that that's well, yeah. But yeah, so that that's that's the Cure, Killing an Arab. Good job. Good good one. Number three. Now on to number three. No. Yes. Yeah. yeah number three. We're at number three. Amazing. Um, so this is my one I'm going to do. And this is 1984, David Bowie. Ooh. Another Croydon link here. David Bowie walked through the doors yep. at Croydon College and then swiftly left. Yeah, <laughs> most people do. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, but he was here at some point, so, oh. you know, yeah. That's uh, before before my time, but um, but you know, I like to know that yeah, he he was here. he was here. Yeah, yeah, he was definitely here. and grew up just down the road in Beckenham, so just a short nice. tram ride away. Me and Paul, that is cool, actually, I didn't. Know me, that. Paul, Rick, and Julia um, did dinner at the ZZ in um, Beckenham because apparently that was used to be a music venue and it was the first place that David Bowie played a gig at and then later run his art house club there. Oh, cool. Oh, yeah, so, I'm going to have to check that out at some point. Yeah. yeah. There's a, is there a plaque? Oh, I'm going to say there's a plaque outside. I don't know that that's true. No but, one um, would check. No one would fact check that one. But, um, but yeah, yeah. Interesting. Went for a pizza. Was it any good? Trying to feel the, the day, you know, David channel Bowie David vibes. Bowie, but nothing, nothing. What, what did you have on your pizza? I can't remember, but we then went to, it was when I was pregnant, so I wasn't drinking and everyone else was, and we then went to the church in Beckenham to see a tribute, a David Bowie tribute band play, and it was full of very, very old people who sat down, really, really sweet people, sat drinking their little glasses of wine, and then you had Rick and Paul who were absolutely (laughs) pissed who went running down the aisle and Julie's <laughs> dancing in the aisle and then, you know, one of them knocks over, someone's drinking, it smashes on the floor. It, I, I was just like, oh, God, I, I need to go for a wee again. I need to get out of here. <laughs> Sounds but, like a brilliant night. And, and that's that's the backstory to 1984. No, it's not. Um, 1984 is or was the... Ni- 1984 was a 1974 single by David Bowie. Mm-hmm. Not sure why I had to write that sentence quite like that. It was from the album Diamond Dogs. And it was written in 1973 and was inspired by George Orwell's 1984. 
There you go. Much like its parent album, originally it was intended for a stage musical based on the novel, which was never produced because permission was refused by Orwell's widow, Sonia. Yeah, and I um, found like a really good uh, Guardian article, Mm -hmm. which was an interview with David Bowie about, about this time. And uh, Bowie, basically, Bowie had been obsessed with Orwell's novel since growing up in post-war Bromley, right, in a house less than a mile away from the birthplace of H.G. Wells. Um, you always felt you were in 1984, he said. I don't know why I went the Cockney Geezer. <laughs> you always felt you were in 1984. <laughs> that's how David Bowie really spoke. Um, he said, that's the kind of gloom and immovable society that a lot of us felt we grew up in. It was a terribly inhibiting place. Um, it was Bowie's eighth studio album and it was initially titled We Are The Dead. It was therefore a sort of salvage operation um, because obviously the musical couldn't go ahead and he couldn't mm-hmm. call the album 1984. And um, Bowie said, to be quite honest with you, the whole thing was originally 19 bloody 84. She put the clappers. It could have been a cackney, a cackney, <laughs> which is a mixture of someone from Bromley and cackney. cackney. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. Oh, the amount of things I just... I say wrong, I'm not even drinking alcohol tonight. Um, anyway, he said, she put the clappers on the musical um, by saying no. So I, at the last minute, quickly changed it into a new concept album called Diamond Dogs. I didn't ever want to do Diamond Dogs as a stage musical. Um, what I wanted to do was 1984. Um, so obviously the musical never, mm-hmm. never happened. That's a shame, isn't it? Uh, which been... it which I think it would have been incredible. Yeah, it would have been amazing. Um because 1984, which takes me into the novel, actually. Yes. 1984 is a dystopian novel by English novelist George Orwell. It was published on the 8th of June in 1949 as Orwell's ninth and final book completed in his lifetime. The story takes place in an imagined future, the year 1984, which much of the world has fallen victim to perpetual war, omnipresent government surveillance and propaganda. More broadly, the novel examines the role of truth and facts within politics and the ways in which they're manipulated. Yeah. So, Newspeak. Very, What's it called? Newspeak or whatever. Yeah, there's... Um, so, yeah, so basically in, in Great Britain, um, Great Britain is known as Airstrip One That's in it. the book. Yeah. And has become the province of the totalitarian super state named Oceana. That's it, Oceana. And is ruled by the party who employ the fault police to persecute individuality and independent thinking. Big Brother. The TV show was, was based on the novel. Was based on the novel, yeah. Big Brother, the leader of the party, <clears throat> enjoys an intense cult of personality despite the fact that he may not even exist. The ending of 1984 yeah. is one of the most chilling it, yeah. endings of any book ever. But yeah, it's such I highly recommend people to read. Oh yeah, it's, it's very, very inspirational. It's it it kind of changes your thinking. Oh god, I remember I've read it a few times. The first yeah. time I read it, I don't think I was mature enough to appreciate it, right? Because yeah. I was quite young. And then the second time I read it, I was like. I don't know. It stayed with me for ages. Yeah, it's it is one of those 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 books that just yeah, 
it will stay with you. It will haunt your mind and make you question things. Um, So, want a couple of facts? Yeah, go on. Just a couple. Yeah, just a couple. Have I definitely just got a couple? Yes, I definitely do. Just have two. So, before he wrote 1984, Orwell worked for the British government during World War II Mm -hmm. as a propagandist Ah. at the BBC. Yeah. So, insights, inside knowledge. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so also my second fact, also my second fact, that's not even the correct sentence. My second fact, Orwell initially named the novel 1980. Why did he change it? Obviously didn't think that was far enough into the future. Just knock another for you. No, that's not why he said that. And then it was 1982 (laughs) before settling on 1984. Why? Why? I, I don't know, probably, you know, does it roll off the tongue? Yeah. But, uh, no, it didn't really say. And since it was written in, in 1948, some think that Orwell devised the title by inverting, oh, inverting the year the, yeah. the book was was. Um, that would was make more written. sense, wouldn't it? Yeah. So that's that was um, number three in the charts. Excellent. Well done. Definitely check out the song and the album Diamond Dogs and read the book. And that's your weekend homework. Yeah. Number two. Okay, so this one. I um I've really thrown this one together. <laughs> okay. <laughs> no, it's it's go on. Do you think people would guess? Maybe we should have a drum roll for this one. I don't think people would guess this one. They def they know what number one is. I think it's yeah. obvious. Alright, okay. Alright, go, go for it. Okay, so this one, a classic, seventies classic, Gary Newman's cars. Hey, here are my car. Yeah, there we go. <laughs> um, so this does a lot of music from the late seventies slash early eighties that was inspired by science fiction. Mm-hmm. But this is one that is probably well. I feel like Cars is sort of credited as bringing the synth a bit more mainstream because I know like synth was big in prog rock. Yeah, but after like punk comes obviously at the end of the 70s we, and then this we, this was oh this was in the transport podcast we did oh, oh to, there you yeah. go another nod to yeah. previous episode so it was released in 1979 from the mm-hmm. album the pleasure principle and it's inspired by a novel by uh jg ballard called crash have you I don't know that yeah it's a weird one it was released in 1973 so actually not that long before the um, the song came out, and then it was t- it was turned into a film in the mid nineties. Mm. I haven't seen the film. Oh no, I have seen the film. I've read. I think I've read the depressing novel. as I've read heart, like half of really it. Really depressing. Yeah, but I've not seen the film. You, at the end of that film, I just was thinking, why the why would you make such a it's weird depressing? Yeah. Read the read the read the book. <laughs> read the box. And why did I watch it? <laughs> why so, so many people. It's basically it? yeah. about. If you've seen the film, yeah. you know, it's about, like, car crash, sexual fetishism, yeah. which is um, a bit weird. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, so the, a bit on the critical reception of the book. So one reviewer wrote, this author is beyond psychiatric help. Do not publish. The New York Times said, crash is hands down the most repulsive book I've yet to come across. I feel like I... Um, I thought I'd read it, but I feel like something like that would stay with me. If I, had. <laughs> you know what I, mean? I think it says a lot about you, Grace. It's just like, no, it's, it's just pretty PG. <laughs> um, so yeah, obviously now it's considered one of his best works. 
Um, so a bit about Ballard and his and his writing in general. So Ballard's vision was a dystopian that entranced a host of young musicians. Consider the cold clinical sounds created in the late seventies by those who filtered punk's nihilistic worldview through synthesizers and tape lutes. Chief among them, Cabaret Voltaire and This Heat, whose music had the same transporting effect as Ballard's prose, or Warm Leatherette by The Normal, mm-hmm. a song that almost single-handedly invented minimalist electro that was also inspired by uh, that novel as well. Yeah. yeah. So quite a lot of musicians in the late 70s took inspiration yeah. from this book. Um, and Gary Newman said, I think in a documentary, I think it's called Synth Britannia. Have you ever mm-hmm. seen that? It's no. really good. You should. I'll, I'll talk more about that in a minute, but you should watch that. You'd really like it. So Gary Newman says in, in that, I think, that it's part like um, Eulogy to Ballard, but it's partly based on road rage as well because there was an incident he had while he was sat in his car. Yeah. Um, so it's sort of a little bit that too. Um, so, yeah, so at that, that documentary, it's really, really good. I watched it a while ago. It's about post-punk and how, like, the synthesizer was taken from the fringes into, into like, mainstream well take center stage really so yeah like after like um the democratizing effect of punk mm-hmm. with like just picking up a guitar and playing yeah. three chords where does music go after that yeah and it's sit and they talk about how the sort of almost the natural progression was then to take the synthesizer which mm-hmm. was equally sort of democratic yeah. and that anyone could just sort of have a noodle around with different yeah. sounds and that sort of replaced the guitar in a way, yeah, and the blood of post punk came out of out of that. So yeah, it's a really, really good, uh, it's a really good documentary. What's it called again? Synth Britannia. Okay, I need to. Uh, yeah, so it talks a lot about the influence of sci-fi on late seventies, early eighties uh, mu- music, um, and obviously Cars was one of the biggest mm. songs. When you think about post punk or new wave mm. or that that late seventies, early eighties, that is one of the big ones that stands out for me in terms of like what was commercially successful donna summer it yeah was the first song to pretty much solely be done yeah with 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 that kind of synth instruments yeah yeah so um that's all i've got on that one really i was just going to talk about some more songs that um were inspired by the novel which were talked about warm leatherette and then there was a song called miss the girl by the Creatures, 1983. No, I don't know that. Do you not know that one? No. Uh, a Manic Preacher song. Um, oh, I can't remember the name of it now. From the from 1994. I've got that bit, but I haven't got the name of the song. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Quiz question. So, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, that contains a famous ballad quote. I wanted to rub the human face in its own vomit. I wanted to force it to look in the mirror. So if you're into that, you'll love uh, that book. If that's what you like to do at the weekend, then, you know. So, yeah, that's my my number two. Roll up, roll up, ladies and gentlemen. It's now time for the grand finale. And now it's time for number one. (laughs) And it's going to be such a surprise to everyone. It's a big shot, one you would never have thought of. Never, ever in this world would have thought... Okay, it is the one, the only, Kate Bush with Woo! Wuthering Heights. Of course it is. Of course it is. Of course, of course it's Kate Bush. <laughs> yeah, that one. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know why. That's I'm not the one. Do my, I just did it. So I used to do have it, a drunk Kate it. Bush impression. Did I you? couldn't do it sober. 
Yeah. <laughs> only after about nine pints. <laughs> That's that and your 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 um circus stick trick. Thing. Oh the devil sticks, yeah. Yeah. This I wanna see you do Kate Bush while doing the devil stick. What was the other one that we were thing. gonna do? Oh yeah, that's a good idea. I want to, I, I think it's a very good idea. Yeah, I'd like no, to see I'm, you do I'm, it. I'm, 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 I will. <laughs> Can you do it dressed as Kate Bush in yeah. Wuthering Heights as yeah. well? Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. In a field. In a field? Yeah. Yeah. On the moors. I'm sure we can sort that out. Yeah. Yeah. I'm Peck and Rye. I'm Peck and Rye. We'll get a smoke machine going <laughs> yeah. as well. And, uh, yeah. <laughs> I'm going to sell tickets on Patreon to this. So. <laughs> that can be our next gig. <laughs> you, you can be the warm-up act. <laughs> right, Weathering Heights is a song by Kate Bush, did you know? Oh. Um, it was released as her sort of debut in January 1978, and it was inspired by which book, do you think? Oh, don't know. Weathering Heights by Emily Bronte, which was released, it released... Which was published. <laughs> it's released her record, you know. Um, no, it was a book that came out. It was published in 1847. Um, the single, in Heights, obviously from the debut album, The Kick on the Inside. And I think we covered we covered Wuthering Heights before, so I'm not going to go into a lot of the, you know, obvious facts mm-hmm. about this. I think she was like 18 when she she wrote it. Um, and that it wasn't originally meant to be a single, but they changed their minds at the last minute. She was adamant she wanted that song. Mm-hmm. So that was a song that, that that went out, and it stayed number one on the single charts for four weeks and remains um, one of her most successful, or her, yeah, remains one of her most successful British singles. It, it's a really weird, like, number one, isn't it? It's like it doesn't sound like a number one. It, yeah, no, 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 exactly. And at the time, it was she was a bit like Marmite, mm. you know, when she did this sort of performance on Top of the Pops, and everyone during that time of Top of the Pops was miming. They mm-hmm. hardly yeah, ever yeah, had yeah. anyone performing live, and she she just did this such flamboyant, mm-hmm. extravagant performance of sort of mime artistry and. And also, people really didn't know what to think. Some people just laughed and mocked her mm. for it. And other people just thought it was just the most kind of mesmerising, incredible thing that they'd seen in a really long time. Yeah, well, I remember when I first saw the video when I was yeah. when I was really little. I thought it was brilliant. It's, yeah, no, it is It is brilliant. And one of, one of the things I want to say about this as well, that if... Obviously, watch the video and listen to the song. But did you know there's a slowed down <laughs> version of the song? Slow down. Um, how long? Clocking in how at thirty six minutes. Oh my day! On YouTube. I mean, I love Kate Bush, but I'd, yeah, it came out I in got like time for that. Twenty eleven, and sort of went viral. And I, I had a little watch and listen. Mm-hmm. Obviously, of it. Didn't watch a YouTube video with the sound off, did I? That'd be a bit. <laughs> rubbish um personally i think it's really creepy and yeah no so I didn't, the video I didn't, is slowed down as well ev- as the yeah, song everything. so the and whole thing yeah the music the, everything's slowed down and but not not that you know that it's oh what do you call it doesn't affect the pitch yeah the pitch is still the same mm-hmm. so it's not like a duplex. yeah yeah it's the just... pitch is the same 
it's just incredibly slow and stretched out and it's just really eerie sounding and yeah, also really creepy to watch it's still on youtube as well it's still on youtube i'll post a link in the show notes um but yeah so and, and kate bush and obviously emily not obviously obviously they shared the same birthday god <laughs> do you mean is it did we talk about this on the we did other episodes yeah, yeah. so i just wanted to chuck chuck that i in love there. that fact yeah they've got the same birthday it's nice that isn't it yeah obviously different years yeah but and then um, celebrated yeah. it together so bronte was born in 1818 and bush in 1958 good old kate who i've yeah. seen live you've seen live her first gig was in lewisham what was it? Let me I bet you weren't at that. Of course you weren't no, at that. You weren't even born. born. You weren't even a fetus I'm only at that 30. Point. <laughs> <laughs> only, only. 30 on the 30th episode. But um, so some of the lyrics go, um, out on the wily windy moors, we'd roll and fall in the green. You had a temper like my jealousy, too hot, too greedy. How could you leave me when I needed to possess you? I hated you. I loved you too. <laughs> that was beautiful. Um, yeah, it's it's. Um, I think I think the lyrics are great, actually. Yeah, it's, and it's an all round. She really ten out of ten. Yeah, from me. And it's it's really you know I think a great snapshot of of what the book is is about. Have you read the book? I've read it a few times. It's it's very bleak. Yeah, really bleak. None, none I mean, of the characters it's, it's, it's are like at all, and it's 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 quite yeah, it's great. And did you know that um, she published under the pen name Ellis Bell? I do, I did know that. I learned that at I school. Everyone knows that. <laughs> that was, I'm just trying. I'm scraping. There was the barrel an Acton Bell as well. Yeah. One of them, I think. Yeah, it's um, yeah, Maybe but she. I've made that up. So you know, Emily Jane Bronte, one of the Bronte sisters, was an English novelist and poet who's best known for the uh, Wuthering Heights novel, which is now considered obviously an English classic. Yeah. Um, and as I said, she was published under the pen name Ellis Bell. And although Wuthering Heights is now a classic in English literature, um, at the time it was sort of um, quite controversial as it was seen as such a sort of unusually stark depiction of mental and physical cruelty and challenged Victorian ideas about religion, morality, morality, morality. thank you, class, and women's place in society. Yeah, it's, it's, it's abusive as well, isn't it, really, the relationship? Well, yeah. And it's a bit problematic in that sense. It, yeah. But it's of its time. It is, it is of its time, but like at the time it was seen as just you know, yeah, not yeah, yeah. The, done, the done thing, but not the done thing for how you're talking about it now, yeah. just, just <laughs> as in, you know, not like the Dickens novels of um, there always being a sort of moral, righteous outcome of, of things. But um, yeah, I thought that was really, really interesting. And did you know, Wuthering Heights itself was likely written in one sitting at the piano not the oh, book. No. <laughs> she, sat, <laughs> she didn't have a writing table. She just leaned on the piano. <laughs> wrote I, was, it. I was confused there. I'm I, glad you cleared realized, that up. Because I I've realized. been going around telling everyone. <laughs> she wrote it at a piano. She was on speed. And just, just kept going. Just kept oh, going. One sitting. Yeah, no. So she wrote it at the piano. 
And she said it was really sort of a very memorable moment because there was a full moon that night. Oh, I love Kate Bosch. You just picture the scene, moon, yeah. smoke machine going <laughs> as she writes. And like one of those 80s, her hair's blowing. Yeah, she's blowing. Yeah. <laughs> Bless her. Um, but Kate Bush isn't the only pop star to have been inspired by Emily Bronte's only novel. Who else do you think was... Inspired by Wuthering yeah. Heights? Yeah. I've got absolutely no idea. Cliff Richard. Cliff Richard? Cliff Richard, who brought no. Heathcliff, the musical, <laughs> to the stage for a run at Hammersmith Apollo in the mid-90s. Did God. not know that. No, I didn't know that either. What do you think that says about him? That's the the kind of dark, violent, evil character of Heathcliff. Confused, misunderstood character. <laughs> um, Cliff Richard. I can't believe it. that. I'm, we're going to have to watch that. I don't know that we need to watch that. We musical. do. We need to watch that. Of course, musical. we do. But Cliff Richard's likely to be in it, or is he? Actually, no. Why yeah. he doesn't necessarily have to be in it, does he? No. If he, yeah, I don't know. I've just, it just strikes me as someone if he's, you know, written it because he wants to be in it. Yeah, he's one of them, isn't he? I, yeah, yeah, I think so. No. Yeah. <laughs> 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 oh, dear. Well, that brings us to the end of our glittering top ten. Yours were definitely better than mine. I don't know about that. I think you, you did much better at reading words correctly than, than me. yeah. Oh, oh, yeah, I did, to be fair. <laughs> I think you could, we, could, we could all agree well, on that content, one. I think content-wise, you uh, smashed that one out of the park. But if, if I could have read it out properly, then yeah. I would have smashed it out of the park. Well done. I think you win on the best fact for... Um, what, the Devo one? Yeah. Definitely. I quite like the Donald Trump one, though. I mean, it's it's yeah, devastating. So, yeah, but so, it's, so we're talking about highlights and lowlights of the show that we've literally just spoken about <laughs> so yeah no that that was a really disappointing thing for me that it was like he likes that song it's like oh my god i've got something in common with dom dot dom, dom oh what is wrong with my mouth <laughs> with donald trump i can't i know <sighs> yeah that is it gutting, sickens it? me yeah never mind and gives paul a fuel to her yeah, hatred that's true. of the song actually so we should never Tell never her tell that her. Fact. Never tell her. Never that tell fact. her. Never let her listen to this show. Never tell Paula. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's and what we can know. call this episode. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. Actually, that's a really good one. Never tell Paula. She'll never. She'll never look at that title. <laughs> I wonder what. <laughs> okay. Thank you, everyone, for listening. We really do appreciate it. Um, Want to give a shout out to. Um, I've been doing this recently, just shout-outs to podcasts we've listened to recently yep. that we think are great that you should check out. Um, one that Kerry's hooked on at the moment, she's been listening to, which Grace, you put us on to, is The Guilty Feminist. The best podcast which, of all time which ever. Which is brilliant, yeah. which is absolutely brilliant. And one that I discovered literally about a week ago was Drunk Women Solving Crime. Yeah, that's a great one too. Which, you know, I've been having I, a bit of a break from true crime because I've been freaking myself out. <laughs> but this this one is pure comedy. Yeah. And I really enjoyed that. Isn't scary at all. No. Yeah. It's just really interesting just and really hilarious. Fun. Some really good facts. Yeah. Really good facts. There's also a podcast called Hoovering by a comedian called Jessica Foster Q. Okay. And she just talks about food and how much she loves food with another guest. And it's brilliant. That 
sounds and she's a brilliant comedian so she makes everything well, hilarious that's that's the thing i think it's it's comedy comedy great comedians talking about anything yeah really on a podcast mm-hmm. you get wave but no definitely definitely check out all of those those shows but still come back and listen to ours yeah see we're really upset if you don't it's I'll be fuming. Yes, it's not like jumping shit. Something else. <laughs> we'll set Grace on you. <laughs> Remember, she likes things like Crash. So who knows what she might do? I don't you. think I've read it. I think I, I think, would remember that. I think you read your notes <laughs> as we were going on the show and gone, how do I look? How is this portraying me, this yeah. show? <laughs> deny, deny. <laughs> it's like uh, what's his chops saying about, you know, people in music should retrain Oh, and get God. you know retrain get another job we haven't all been doing other jobs the whole but time then, anyway. but then got itv to correct we'll say correct correct with but you know commas here, um to you know change the title just because there was such a, a backlash you know change the quote from it this is so out of touch you didn't say it when you did and it's not the first time you said it either Said it a few times. Pretend you didn't say it when you did. Very George, that very Orwellian. Exactly, exactly. Very relevant to our times. Mm. Uh, never trust a politician. Yeah, there I think, we go. That's I think we should one end, to end, end on. <laughs> yes, one to end. That's that's just a rule in life. <laughs> <laughs> and the title of our spin-off podcast. <laughs> it was just me and you. Yeah, just me and you. <laughs> Nothing factual. <laughs> Okay, over and out.